look at 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, and then we're going to go over to 1 Samuel 17, 2 Corinthians 10. Father, we come before the throne of grace. Lord, we ask in this house today, knowing, Father, that your children, Lord, are facing battles, Lord God, facing difficulties. Some of them are in the greatest battles of their life. Lord, some of them are in prolonged battles, Lord God, that they have now become so battle-weary, war-torn, that they need, Lord, what only you can give, and that is the revelation of the word by your spirit. And Lord, I'm asking today that you would hide me in the shadow of your cross and let your word be heard in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Let's look here in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 through 6. I want to read in two separate translations here. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your disobedience is when your obedience is fulfilled. Let me read to you in a different translation. For although we live in the natural realm, how many know that we live in a natural realm? We do not wage a military campaign employing human weapons using manipulation to achieve our aim. Instead, our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power to effectively dismantle the defenses beyond which people hide. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every argument, every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defense of the true knowledge of God. We capture like prisoners of war every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. Since we are armed with such dynamic weaponry, we stand ready to punish any trace of rebellion as soon as we choose complete obedience. Mm, good stuff, is it not? Kind of opens our thoughts and minds to a reality that we need to be living in. And that's the reality of the eternal, which is in heaven. And we understand today that God came to earth to give us life and give it more abundantly and to destroy the works of the enemy. As we were in prayer yesterday, Saturday morning prayer, towards the end there, there was just kind of a holy hush and we waited upon the Lord and as we did, the Lord spoke something to my heart. And he asked me to tell you this. My people are continually defeated. They are battling in their own strength. Tell them to turn to me for victory. If I discover that I am being defeated by my emotions, by my surroundings, by the things that oppose 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I try to go to bat and go to battle and try to war against those, those ideologies and that maybe false theology that I can do all things without Christ. That the gospel is here to elevate my human flesh and to cause me to become a better person. It's a falsehood that is being peddled and it has been for several decades. Let me say to you, there's only one avenue of life and that is through the cross of Calvary. The Bible tells us that if we will lose our life, we will find it. If we will surrender everything to Jesus Christ, we will discover the power that is resident in the resurrection of the living God. In other words, we must die daily, crucify self so that Christ may resurrect. It is time that we stop trying to elevate the Lord, elevate self to the status of God. It's time that we stop pursuing the Lord and asking him to align to our will and start aligning ourselves to his will. It's time that we stop trying to get the Lord to be persuaded by our prayers and our works to get him in line with our wishes and our will and start aligning ourselves with what he wants. The Lord Almighty does not work for me. I work for him. You work for him. He's in charge. We can try our dead level best to do everything within our human ingenuity, our human reasoning, and try to get God to the place. He does what we tell him to do. Or we get ourselves to the place and we decide, God, we're going to do it your way. Because there's life in the word. There's life in truth. So as we look at this, I want to go to a familiar passage. In fact, I can take my Bible and drop it, and it's going to open up on this passage. I think one of the first texts that I read was preached in this church almost seven years ago was out of this text. It is one of my go-to foundational messages. We just preached an entire series about relational aspect according to this text. But I want to go here today because I know that the Lord has something to say to you right now in the midst of your battle. And it's not that you've heard it before, but maybe it's time to take that revelation and bring forth further application so that you can live not just inspired, but you can live victorious in Jesus Christ. Here is the truth. As we see the Word of God, we discover There was an enemy camped against Israel. And they put forth their champion, and their champion's name is Goliath. Most talked about Sunday school lesson in kids' view and children's church and around the the world. But it's more than just a fantastic story. It is a part of history of the children of God. That the enemy, we discover the spiritual truths as this. The enemy likes to meet us in our low places and in our valleys. You think he's going to dare mess with you when you're on the mountaintop? When the glory of God is shining upon your face? No, he waits to find you in the low place, in the valley. And he shows up there with his intimidation tactics. He's nine foot six inches tall. He's he's wearing a coat that weighs 120 pounds. He has a spearhead that weighs 40 pounds. 
He is there and he is challenging Jehovah God and the people to come out and present a champion. Now, if we try to face the enemy in our own strength, he will inevitably always take that spear and drive it straight through us and then pull his Mack truck and drive right on past, right on through the midst of our heart. We are no match for the devil. Don't ever think that your reasoning skills, your annuity, your, your, your ingenuity, your, your, your thought process, your looks, your talents, your means, your measures are any measure for the enemy. You're no measure for sin. You're no measure for Satan. And let me tell you, without the victory of Jesus Christ living in your heart, you will not conquer self. It's more than just the idea that I can improve myself. It's the idea that I die to self so that Jesus will resurrect in my situation. As we look to the word of God, we see that the enemy shows up and he's there in our valleys. Now I will remind you, Deuteronomy 9, where he tells us, that you're going to go over into the place of promise, and when you get there, you're going to discover there's giants in the land of promise. Your giants are not an indication that you're off track. Your giants are the indication that you're right where you need to be. The Lord knew that the enemy would be in your promised land, but he didn't say forsake everything and run scared and hide in the clefts and in the rocks. No, he said run to him, stand behind him because the Lord will go before you and he will fight the battles. And so right now you feel completely and entirely defeated. I hope before this day's end you will discover that the weapons of your warfare, they are not carnal but they are mighty to the pulling down of those strongholds, those safe places that we find ourselves occupying. You know what a stronghold is? A stronghold is a safe place. The enemy would always want to offer through demonic means a safe place to run and hide. And it's not that we don't need a safe place, but that safe place better be Christ. Amen? Safe place is Jesus. And Jesus went into the valley 2,000 years ago of human depravity. And he stood there and faced every giant that we would ever face. And through the power of the word of the living God and through his blood sacrifice, he defeated the enemy on our behalf. So as we look at David, we look at him as a type, but we also look at him as a man now, when we look at, in the Word of God and we see types, let's don't confuse the fact that they may have flaws in their character. Jesus Christ, God the Father, the Holy Spirit have no flaw in their character. But he has given us imagery so that we can see, and there is a, a, a dichotomy, there is, a, there is a, 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 a variance that we see in the Word of God, repeated over and over with the carnal man and the spiritual man. We see that with Jacob and Esau wrestling within the womb of the mother, and there she said, what is wrong with me? Two kingdoms, two nations exist within you. 
We see, folks, that there's a lower nature and there is a higher nature of Christ. And this soul man must align to the will of God. We see that, 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 that variance there, this, the, the, the struggle that goes on in a heart. But folks, understand that our flesh man needs to be controlled by our spirit man. We see Abraham and Lot. There is the same contrast between Flesh and spirit, carnality and spirituality. And we see this in David and in Saul. But now there's a giant in the valley, and that's where we take up the story. Here's David. He steps up. David's name means in Hebrew, beloved. Who was declared the beloved in the river Jordan when the heavens opened after the spirit of the Lord came upon Jesus Christ? It was the Father said, my beloved son and who I am well pleased. <laughs> Let me say to you, there's an eternal love and a covenant of eternal love that is passed on to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. We see here in this passage that, that, that David represents for you and I the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's defeated the enemy on our behalf. And, now, for you and I to take on and realize that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, we have to accept his lordship, his kingship, his authority as he rests and reigns in our heart. And now we bring our identity with David the man and discover how to overcome the giants that we face. My children are defeated when they depend upon themselves. There is victory in Jesus. I am defeated when I depend upon myself. I am destroyed whenever I am doing all that I'm doing according to my works, according to my righteousness, according to how good that I am. I have to die to self and say, Lord, I'm just going to walk in the power of of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, as we look here at this passage, I want to read a number of verses here. Let's look at 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17, verse 38. Now, as we look here at verse 38, it's very important that we see that now David is positioned, he's aligned, he's going into the valley to face, the Goli to face Goliath, the Philistine champion. He's doing this on behalf of an entirety of a nation. In fact, uh, the, the covenant is resting, the eternal covenant is resting on the fact that he will go out and destroy. It's not just a matter of a death challenge because there's one person not walking out of that valley, but there is one person that will walk out of that valley and he'll walk out victorious. And there's only one way we get out of that valley, and that's through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when Jesus came into our valley and he rescued us, it was a death challenge. And the enemy thought he won, but oh, no, no, no. Oh, on the third day, he got up out of that grave. And now the enemy was defeated. Just food for thought. Let's look here. We see in verse 38, and so Saul clothed David with his armor and put on his bronze helmet on his head, and he also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword about of armor and tried to walk, and he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. 
Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for him five smooth stones from the brook, and he put it in the shepherd's bag in the pouch and he, that he had in his sling, and was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. The Philistine came, verse 41, and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him, and when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, and he said, he was only a youth, Rudy, and good-looking for the... Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by, notice this, by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts and the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled to this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the, the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all of the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came near to David to meet him that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and he took out a stone and a sling and he then slung it and he struck the Philistine in the forehead so that the stone sunk into the fore, his forehead and he fell on the face of the earth and David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone struck the Philistine and killed him but there was no sword in David's hand therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine took the sword and drew it out of the sheath and he killed him cut off his head with it and when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead they fled mm. And the men of Israel and Judah rose and shouted and pursued the Philistine as far as the entrance of the valley of the gates of Ekron. And they wounded the Philistines and fell along the road there even as far as Gath and Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their tents. David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem and put his armor in his tent. My, my, my. Wouldn't you like to have that kind of confidence? Oh, Saul, don't worry. Let me take care of this, this, this uncircumcised, uncovenanted enemy to the Jehovah God's people. Let me take care of him. Oh, he was just a youth and he didn't know any better. Well, I pray to God, make us more childlike that we won't know any better. That we get back to a faith that is resolved. That the enemy, he puts on high alert every time you roll out of bed in the morning. Where depression takes off running and bitterness has no place in you because you are all in Christ. And Christ is all in you. Oh God, give us a confidence that there's a no devil in hell. When they hear the name Jesus, they shake and tremble. When they hear the name of Paul, they shake and tremble. When they hear the name of those attending Christ. Crossroads assembly of God, then all of a sudden there's a gripping of their heart. Amen. And now 
have no strength left in them. Oh, I do believe with all of my heart. God wants us to have that kind of confidence in him. Not in me, but in him. Oh, let me give you the end before we get back to the beginning. You notice there that David took up a collection that day. He collected all of the armor, the strength of the enemy. He said, you boys, go get yours. This belongs to me. And he took it and he put it into his tent. Let me say to you, if you're willing to make the journey, wherever your feet tread upon, that lamb belongs to you. And the promises are yea and amen. They are eternal and they're yours to have forever. Let me say to you, if you're willing to walk through the valley of depression, when you get to the end of that, that depression is going to belong to you. If you're willing to walk through that lack, when you get to the end of that, the abundance belongs to you. If you're willing to walk the journey, God. God will give you all of that strength. It's yours. If you give up and quit now, you're not going to have the strength of the enemy. See, that armor represented his strength, his spear, his javelin, his, all of it. That helmet that's stuck on your big, ugly head, that's mine. In fact, I'm going to take your head too. I don't know if he just let it if he embalmed the thing or take it to the taxidermy. Here, fix that up for me. Put them fake eyes there. Make them real sad because I took his head off. I'm going to put that on the mantle. But I'm not going to tell her about it. I'm going to put it up so high and I'm going to attach it with bolts and I'm not going to let her see until it's too late. Because think about it just a minute. He's got the head. Took Goliath's big old melon head. You know he's got a melon head. He's nine foot six inches tall. You don't get a, you don't go to the head shrink. That, that dude's got a head. He's got a helmet. It's not in my notes, as you can tell. But I'm just, think about it. He's got the head. Why would he gather the head? Why didn't you just cut off his ring finger or something? I don't know. Pinky toe. Pull a tooth. Put it around your neck, you know. Why the head? I believe that's to tell you and I, once you defeat the enemy, once you sever his head, stop reasoning like the enemy and stop listening to his voice. Cut off the very source of that infiltration into your mind. That's not true. If he tells you you're defeated, then you are victorious. If he tells you that you're not going to make it, you rest assured you're going to make it. You declare the truth of God's word. If you will stay on the journey, trust in God. If you will apply the principles of God's word. If you'll be brave enough to face yourself. To look in the mirror and say, God, it's me. Stop fixing everybody else. Go to work on me. Take me through this journey. Let me get to the end of myself that I may see the victory in Jesus and him alone. See, we want God to be the boss and we want to be the boss too. We want God to be in control and get the glory. 
But if I'm operating in self, I want, there's a part of me deep down, I want the glory too. I want it too. I want the praises. Oh, they're praising you, Jesus, and they're praising me too. They're worshiping you, Jesus, and oh, no, 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 no. They're just giving me credit. <laughs> How do I know that's true? Because you live in the same stinking flesh suit that I do. You may be prettier than me, but you smell just as bad. The only way to live in victory is to live in Jesus. And if Jesus had to die in order to live, you and I must die in order to live. And he's not talking about going out and committing suicide. We understand that. We're talking about dying to my opinions, my wants, my, my will, and say, God, what is your will? Now, as we look here, I want to speed it along a little bit. I want you to notice there, and I pray, oh, Holy Spirit, I've heard it, but God, let them hear it. Let them hear it, Lord God. I want you to see something. Notice there in verse 38 where we started. Saul, King Saul, who had the positional authority, who had the responsibility to go out there and face the giant, would not do it. He wouldn't do it. Now, David did not go out there into that valley to face that giant until that authority, which he understood, gave him the permission to go out there into that valley. So Saul said, I'm going to give you the authority. You're going to, be the, you're going to go out there and you're going to face the enemy. And you're going to do it on behalf of Jehovah God. You're going to do it on behalf of the people. And you're going to do it on behalf of me. But before we send you out there, this is what needs to happen. You need to look like me. So he puts his helmet upon him. He puts his, uh, let's read it here. Verse 38. So Saul clothed him with his armor, put all of his armor on him. He put on his bronze helmet on his head. And he also clothed him with a coat of mail. And he fastened his sword of armor. And David tried to walk. Mm. Why did Saul do that? Some say that Saul did that because he wanted the credit. I'm on position. I'm not... I'm too scared to go out there. <laughs> so I need you to go, and I'll get the credit. Is that not carnal? Let me tell you, the reward belongs to the risk taker. If you're not willing to take the risk, you're not going to get the reward. You need to go out there. You need to look like me. In fact, you not only need to look like me, let me look, take this bronze helmet, let me put it on your head. You need to think like me. You need to, 
You need to think like I think. What does bronze represent in the Word of God? It represents judgment. Let me tell you where the flesh can only dwell. It can only dwell in judgment. It can only dwell in a critical judgment. It lives entirely by works because it's a work system that the carnality, the carnal man is driven by the law over to Christ. You don't get the, when we see the law, the law is good. It is perfect. It needs to be used accordingly. And to used accordingly to say, look how righteous God is and look how unrighteous man is. And let me tell you, if you try to live by works, you try to be good enough to get the things of God, that is what we call warring in your own strength. If you're in a place right now and you are trying your dead level best to be good enough to get the good from God, you will never, ever, 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 that was dramatic effect, succeed. It won't happen. You can't be good enough to get the goodness of God. The goodness of God is bestowed upon you because of his goodness. And his goodness is given to you to work the good in you. And the only way the good can work in you is you've got to kill out the old man by letting him go to the cross so that Jesus' goodness can wake up on the inside of you. And it's not my reasoning skills and my ingenuity and my works that will defeat the giant. But notice there. Saul wanted to clothe him. You need to look like me. You need to think like me. Put this sword on your side. When you draw it out, you need to speak like me. You can defeat the enemy. You offer railing for railing, accusation for accusation, Facebook post for Facebook post, and you will defeat your enemy. You just go and make sure that your flesh is validated on every front. Make sure that everybody knows you're the leader. Make sure everybody knows that you're the one in charge. You're the boss. You're the boss. And you're going to, everybody's going to follow you if you do it like I do it. See, the, the big tell sign was this. Saul never faced a giant. I've gotten some of the greatest advice in the world straight from the pit of hell about how to lead the people of God. And I will tell you now. I'm going to get back here. I'm getting behind the communion table. You can't, you can't throw rocks past that. Come on now. Do you know who the devil will use? The same one God will use. I can at any given time give myself over to the carnal man and be used to the devil to hurt somebody's feeling, to, to manufacture something in my own mind, to destroy them, to hurt them. But let me tell you, folks, it's only when we bring ourselves under subjection and you've got to cultivate your relationship with Christ. If you lay down the word, if you lay down your prayer life, if you stop going to church, you will backslide right back to the position you started out with and even seven times worse. You will get back to the place. Don't think that you've ever arrived. It doesn't matter your age. 
age or your accomplishments in the kingdom of God, you must continually cultivate your relationship with the living God. And if you're living defeated, then you're living in self. And the only way to find victory is to get back to the conquering king who will abide in your heart and you will have the confidence to chase down your enemies and see the word of God destroy the enemy. If I am going to live in victory, I must forsake self. I have to do it. I must forsake fleshly indulgences to be large and in charge. I have to. I have to get to the place where I have to stop trying to defeat the enemy with my good works. I have to get to the place where I have to, to, to stop trying to defeat the enemy with knowledge. Pride. Sin can come in in high places. You have not arrived unless you're in your glorified state. If you were down here and child of God, instead of a communion table, there was a casket, I would say you have arrived. But until then, you keep cultivating. And chances are you know more than I do. But you don't know more than him. And it's not the knowledge that we need, it's the obedience to that knowledge that we need to apply. And let me say to young leaders that are in here and those that are leading and those that may be facing opposition, only take advice from giant killers. Is that fair? Only take advice from giant killers. Because a giant killer will produce giant killers. Whereas a carnal man will only produce more carnality. It'll give you all the, pass you a book and say, well, they did it this way. And they hadn't even read the book. They just liked the title. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm trying to say to you there's one way to defeat the enemy. And that's through the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. First thing we have to do is we have to take off the old man. We have to die to self. We've got to get rid of the armor of the enemy and realize that I cannot reason my way through that valley. I can only stand in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I give him license to challenge all of my theology because understand, at the end of the day, it's what he wants and not what I want. Amen? Now we find out that as David goes out there, he says, look, I, I can't defend the enemy with this. I, he takes off the helmet. It's time for some of you to take off the reasoning of the, of the enemy and stop trying to improve through your own will and just put your will under the will of God and let God guide you. And now he takes off the coat. I can't look like you and defeat the enemy. I've got to look like him. And what looks like him is the glory of the Father. And it only comes by way of the cross. So I'm going to take this off as well. In fact, I'm going to take all of the armor off and in so doing I'm going to make myself vulnerable before the enemy but I'm going to make myself strong in the sight of my God and I'm going to stand in the name that is above every name and I'm going to clothe myself 
I don't think we should call it the armor of God. I think we should call it uh, armed with Jesus. Because that's what Paul is trying to get us to in the imagery there in Ephesians 6. He's not telling you to go stand on your righteousness. He's telling you you need to stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He's not telling you to carry, let your feet carry you by your own strength. He said, no, everywhere you go, you need to have on the good news of Jesus. And where you go, you carry the good news with you. You put on the truth. It's not my truth. It is the truth. It is the word of God. And my whole life must be centered around the way, the truth, and the life. And his name is Jesus. And I put on the helmet. It's not the helmet of Saul. It's the helmet of the salvation that comes by Jesus. And when I draw the sword, it will not be a carnal sword. It'll be the word of Jesus. Stop clothing yourself in carnality. Your carnality will never cause you to defeat the enemy. The only hope we have is the manifestation of the Son of God 2,000 years ago. Mm. Brings me to my final point. For those of you that are scared, I'll never close. I have to forsake the fleshly indulgences to get credit and the praises of man. To conquer the enemy and say, look what I have done. I don't want to hear, you don't want to hear what I have done for God. What you want to hear is what God has done for me. God has done for you. You stand in the authority of Jesus' name. You come to me with a sword. You come to me with a spear. You come to me with a javelin. But I come to you. I come to you, giant. You foul-mouthed Philistine. I come to you in the name that is above every name. I don't stand in my name. I don't proclaim and preach the word of God to you in my name. I don't preach and proclaim the word of God to you in the name of the assemblies of God, though I'm a card-carrying member. I stand here declaring to you that the word of God is in the name that is above every single name. And let me tell you, that, that devil, he may not obey my name, but he will obey the name above every name. Not because he wants to. It's because he has to. Why? Because he was in heaven and God threw him from heaven. He was on earth and God destroyed him. He was there dragging us into the grave by temptation of sin. But Jesus went into the grave and he rose again on that third day. So there's not a dominion. There's not a domain that he's not been defeated. And so when you call the name of Jesus out, as I say, Jesus, 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 you know what I'm doing? I'm calling a rippling of fear all in hell right now. Jesus. Jesus, 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 I am frustrating the plans of the enemy. I'm destroying his thought pattern. I am just making him more fearful than he already is. Jesus, 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 Jesus. I'll sing off key just to aggravate him more. 
despises Jesus. More importantly, they understand the power and the authority. It's not questioned. It's not even... They don't... They may jerk about and do all of their antics, but at the end of the day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will bow. Confess. Heaven, earth, under the earth. 